0: Let's pray. Father, we long to worship you. We have been worshiping you. We want to continue to worship you. Help us as we worship you in the Word. We would see your glorious grace, the gifts you give. May we be thankful. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone among us this morning that does not know Christ as their Savior, that even today they might embrace the gifts that you give and have life and joy and peace, and hope, and a future. Do this by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. I love giving and receiving gifts, but I have a problem, though. I'm like I'm like the, the kid that has a $10 bill burning in his pocket, and he just has to spend it. When I get a gift, I want to give it, like, right then. Right then and there. Fortunately, Amy is an adult, and... <laughs> Oftentimes she pushes that desire of mine aside, says, you know, just let's just wait until the day, the right time, it'll be better that way, every now and then I will wear her down with my great plan, my great plan is, listen, we got them bikes, we got the kids' bikes, let's let's give them now to the, the kids, and then we'll be able to enjoy them the, for the whole fall season, it'll be great, it's a great idea, and, um, you know, after that she finally will succumb because she doesn't want to hear it anymore, I think. I'm not sure if that's the reason or, or, or if I've given such sound logic that she just could not withhold any longer. Um, what happens generally when that takes place is you get closer and closer to the day and you're like, man, I don't have enough stuff to give them. So you go out and buy more stuff. Now now that my children have heard this, they're going to try to convince us next year to give them their, give all their gifts two months in advance. It's not going to work. I've I've grown some resolve, or not. Something like that. I, I love gifts and giving and receiving. It's, it's wonderful. It's fun. I think it's great. But there is, there's no better gift giver than the God of the universe. He always gives the right gift. He always gives it at the right time. And it always comes with the right result. This is our Heavenly Father. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a good giver. Jesus, as he was conveying to his followers as he was communicating concerning prayer, one of the statements he made is in Matthew 7 and verse 11. He said this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? To, to what degree more? To, to what stage better is his ability to give good gifts to those who ask him? This is your Father in heaven. He gives the best gifts. And this morning as we spend just a few minutes together, In God's Word, worshiping this Father that gives good gifts, I want to consider three gifts that our Father gives to us. The first of them is this. God gives the gift of justification. God gives the gift of justification. Take a look at Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. God's Word says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justifi- justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are Also are found sinners. Is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Certainly not. Here's what he's telling us. By faith and faith alone, we receive this this thing called justification. Justification. The concept of justification has two aspects, two important aspects. The first is a removal. The second is an addition. The, The removal is that of a removal of sin. God removes the debt of our sin. He forgives our sin. In justification, God says, you, sinner, no longer. You're no longer a sinner. Why? Because Jesus, the Christ, paid the sin debt. So God, in justification, removes our sin or forgives our sin. We see that in Ephesians 1. It'll be on the screen behind me where the Bible says this. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? It's the forgiveness of our trespasses. How does it come? It comes according to the riches of His grace. Out of the abundance of God's grace He supplies this gift. What is that gift? It is a gift of a removal. The removal of our sin debt. How does it come? At the cost of the blood of Christ. So the first aspect of justification is a removal of sin. It's a forgiveness of sin. It's a never dealing with the a payment for sin again from a spiritual standpoint. A second aspect of justification is in addition. In addition to the removal of our sin or forgiveness of our sin, God gives us a record of righteousness. A record of righteousness. This is good news, friends. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, all your sin is removed. And when you stand before Jesus, who is the Savior, who is also the Judge, if you've trusted Christ, you'll stand there robed in righteousness that is not defiled in any way. Your record is absolutely spotlessly clean. It's a righteous record because of what Christ has done. It tells us that in Philippians 3.9, the Bible says this, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith. So in, in Galatians 2, he says justification comes by faith. In Ephesians 1 that we saw, we have this forgiveness of sins. How does that come? It's by faith. In in Philippians chapter 3, we have a a record of righteousness, not of our own accord, not because we've kept every commandment, not because we've learned to do everything just so, we have a record of righteousness because we've embraced Christ by faith. And so God changes the record from sinner to saint, from sinner to holy, from sinner to to righteous. This is justification. Justification is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. and verse 8 and following. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Listen. When the gift of of righteousness, or the gift of justification is given, the judge declares you not guilty and the judge declares you a citizen in right standing. Think about that. Here's the judge. He's ruling the land and he says, okay, you're not guilty. All your sin is washed. Nothing is wrong. And not only is there nothing wrong, there's a lot that's right. Right? In fact, everything is right. This is the glory of justification. It's a legal transaction. It's as if I've never sinned, and as if all of Jesus' righteous deeds are my righteous deeds. It's a legal transaction. This is the first gift that we want to recognize this morning that God gives the gift of justification. It's a legal standing, and we've gone from an outcast, an enemy, a, a prisoner, a slave, and He brings us to the place of righteous, right standing, and not guilty in any way. A second gift that we want to note this morning is this God gives the gift of adoption. God gives the gift of adoption. Take a look at chapter 4. You're in Galatians. Take a look at Galatians 4. We read this as our responsive reading this morning. We'll read 1 through 5 for context, but our, our emphasis is in verses 4 and 5 for the moment. The Bible says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4, but, but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God gives the gift of adoption. As we look at verses 4 and 5, there are some great doctrinal points that must be pointed out that relate to this adoption. In order for God to adopt us, God first had to give up his own son. In order for the adoption to take place, God first had to give up his own son. What is this son like? Well, first we note that he's divine. says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. His son. Now you'll remember through the Gospels, any time Jesus told people that he was the son of God, they were not too kindly pleased. In fact, they took up stones to stone him. Why? Because to make oneself the son of God is to make oneself equal with God, is to call oneself God, and, and Jesus didn't even veil it that much. You'll remember in John chapter 10, he said, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 5, he said, the Father works, and I work. In fact, the the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus is divine. This is the first element that we notice about him. He's divine. Secondly, he's human. Well, no kidding. Oh, is it that easy to figure out? The Apostle John might contend with you. Why did the, the Apostle John contend with you? Because there were groups back in the first century that said Jesus was not really a human. And John said, if anyone says that he's not come in the flesh, he is anti-Christ. He's against Christ. He's wrong. He's wrong. Here, Paul says he was born of a woman. Why wasn't he born of a man? Well, because everyone comes through a woman, of course. Well, in in these days, you say, well, his father is. His father. His father. So-and-so beget so-and-so. And And it's always the guy begetting the girl, right? uh, Begetting the, the child, right? It's always the way it is in the records. There's something unique about this son. There's something unique about this birth. Isaiah 7 tells us about it. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. We shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Jesus was fully human. Fully human. In every way human. He hungered and thirsted. He tired. He felt it. Did you know this? He felt it when they punched him in the face. He felt it when they tore the, the hair off of his face. They held it, he felt it when they used the cat of nine tails on his back and tore the, the flesh off of his back. He felt it when they, they slammed the, the crown of thorns on his head. He felt it, friends, when they took a nail and drove it through his wrists and his feet. He felt it. He experienced fully death, as he hung on the cross, gasping for breath, in absolute agony. He was born of a woman. He was fully, fully human. Additionally, he was a a substitute. It says, born under the law. What does that mean? Well, everything that a, a good Jew was supposed to do under the law, Jesus did. Everything. He fulfilled the law in all of its demands. He didn't say, oh, the law is old. It doesn't matter. I've come to establish something new. He didn't do that. What he did is he fulfilled the law in its perfect way, the only one to fulfill the law perfectly. He was born under the law. Why did he come? To be a redeemer, to be a redeemer, to redeem those who were, past tense, were under the law. He came to redeem. Everyone, so that we are no longer slaves to the law, but instead, we would be sons of God, which is what comes next in the context. What, what's going on? He says, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are were under the law. Why? Here's a purpose clause. He says that. Will you read the rest of it with me? Verse 5, just the last part after that. That we might receive, that's a gift, the adoption as sons. That we might receive as a gift the adoption as sons. He gave up his own son so so he could adopt us. Let me ask you a question. Which son would you rather have? You or him? See, we're limited, right? We're limited in our our scope. We have a child... We're so many years old when we have that child. We've had so much of a time in this life before we have that child. You can never have a child before you've had time on this earth. So you had time on the earth, and then you have a child. And you have this child, and, and you nurture this child, and you, and you minister to this child, and you love them, and you feed them, and you change their diapers, and, and, you, and you try to teach them the right way, and you, you bring them all through the, the, the years, and, and then they make choices. Whatever choices they make, sometimes those choices make you more intimate. Sometimes those choices produce a, a gap in intimacy. All these problems that come with child rearing. It, it's it's things happen, right? Some of you have had great experiences right, raising children. Others have had other other experiences raising children. Very difficult, right? God the Father and God the Son have an eternal relationship. Eternal. There's no beginning to that thing. And the Son never disappointed the Father. Ever. Never. And yet he gave him up to gain me. Let's think about this for a second. Since being made a son of God, have I ever disappointed God conditionally? Yeah. I've disappointed him a whole lot. As far as a real position, no. Because my righteousness is not based upon my own walk and my own, my own righteousness. It's, it's a righteousness based on Christ. So in, in a sense, no, I've never disappointed him. Only because he sees Christ. Christ but just as a tangible thing, as a, as a son individually, if I had no, no one to, to, to for God to look through to, to get to me, I'd disappoint him a whole lot. He gave up his son to gain this son. That's pretty intense, friends. Let's look at a, a passage or two. Ephesians chapter one. We're in Galatians. Take a look at Ephesians. Very next book. In Ephesians one, Paul is giving a eulogy For God, the Father. The reason I call it a eulogy is because the word to start this sentence in the Greek is oulageo, or eulogy. It's eulogy, blessed be. He's giving a eulogy, but it's a living eulogy. It's a, a eulogy when the person can still hear it which is kind of helpful. It's a a unique situation. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He, what? Chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What I want for us to know is this. In verse 4, he chose us. In verse 5, he predestined us. The idea is to mark off by boundaries. He set everything around us to do what? He predestined us to adoption. What does it mean to be Adopted. What does it mean when someone adopts? That boy, that girl is mine, mine. That boy, that girl has all the rights of this father, of this family. He's not a a second-class citizen to any natural-born sons or daughters. That is a son or a daughter. Adoption is full standing, a full right standing. I want this one. Now, listen, I'm not comparing adoption to natural born. Birth or biological birth by any stretch, because like when when we have given birth to five different children, they they there they are and they're amazing and we love them and like but you didn't go out and choose them, right? You didn't say, hey, I want that one. You just get whatever comes out. There it is. You're stuck with it now. Thankfully, we're happy to be stuck with it. It's good. But we didn't go out and select in an adoption. The person says, there they are. This is what we're seeing here in these texts, both in in Galatians chapter 4 in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll I'll make one more reference. It'll be on the screen behind me from Romans chapter 8. The Bible says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Listen, when the gift of adoption is given, the Father says, I want you as my child. The Father says, I will pay the price. The Father says, I will give you my name. And the Father says, I will give you my heritage. See what it says there in Romans chapter 8? What, what's going on? Heirs of God. Heirs of God. And joint heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, justification provides a legal standing. Adoption provides a relational standing. So we move from, okay, you're not guilty, and you have a right as citizens. The things you've done, you're right. You're in good standing. Everything's fine. Good. Now we take a step further and says, hey, you're in my family. You're one of my sons. You're one of my daughters. We're in this together. There's a relational standing. There's a third gift I want to mention to you. It's back in Galatians 4 as well. God gives the gift of divine presence. Not presence with a T S, but a presence with a C-E, presence, his, his indwelling. God gives the gift of divine presence. This is another level of intimacy, friends. I want you to think, I want you to see this. This trajectory from, hey, everything's good, you're in right standing, to, hey, you're in my family, to, hey, you have a real relationship with me. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 4. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. From a guilty slave, to a citizen in right standing, to a son, to a son with God's own spirit indwelling us. And this spirit, this spirit himself is crying out through our spirit. What is he crying? Abba. Father. Abba. What what does he mean? I want you to think about this. This is not just any any father. This is a father who hears the cry of his people. If you don't believe me, just start reading in the book of Exodus. The people are in Egypt and they're overwhelmed by slavery they're overwhelmed by the burden and God heard the groans of his people this is a God who listens and this is a God this is an Abba who responds truly this intimate experience of God's spirit dwelling within the heart of a believer is a foretaste of eternal glory I want you to think about this God says, hey, I'm I'm, I'm putting you in this condition, I'm making you a son, and then I'm putting my spirit in you, and that spirit is going to cry through you that I'm your father, a real intimate father, a real father who hears, a father who's available, a father who responds, a father who provides, a father who secures. Having God's own spirit dwelling within our spirit is God giving us a little glimpse of what we're going to have forever. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and following, In Him, speaking about Christ, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. What we experience in intimacy... While we're still entangled with our own corrupt way and in a corrupt world that's all around us, when we still experience this intimacy with God, when the Spirit, with all of this going on around us, cries out, Abba, Father, you're saying, hey, listen, there's going to be a day that this is what it's going to be like all the time. See, we don't have this intimacy every single second, do we? Monday morning, when you're in a traffic jam on the way to work, thinking, this isn't what I had planned. How's your spirit right about then? Or even worse, you're on your way home. You're trying to get home. You're desperate to get home. And you're in Boston, and it's 5.30. And you think, what What in the world? Two hours of this nonsense? Are you serious? Sometimes this is the way we respond. I'm not saying this is the way we're supposed to respond in those situations. But you ever find yourself responding that way? How, how intimate do you feel right then? But, but, then maybe later that day, or the next day or another day, you you have this sense where the Spirit is working in your heart and the Spirit is crying out from you. And you have this sweet communion with the Father through the Spirit concerning the Son and the Word, and you think, Wow, this is beautiful. We're surrounded, we're infilled, we are indwelled by the presence of God. This is a gift of God. And it's a gift that tells us what real life is about. The stuff about going, you know, intimacy and then lack of intimacy. We're we're waffling between the real world, intimacy, and the fake world, out of fellowship. We waffle back and forth. We can enjoy what God has in store for us, and yet we choose that which is so unfulfilling and so lacking and so unsatisfying. But God has given us the gift of the Spirit who indwells us and gives us this intimacy. With the gift of justification, we have a legal standing. With the gift of adoption, we have a relational standing. But with this gift of divine presence, we have an intimate standing. Because you can have a relationship and not be intimate, right? He's taken it a step further. He's given us this intimacy. God gives the best gifts. I have a question for you as we come to the end of our discussion here in thoughts. Have you received these gifts? Have you received these gifts? Are your sins forgiven? Do you have a right standing with God? Has he called you his son or his daughter? Has he placed his spirit within you? And that spirit cries out within you. There's no doubt that that you're my father. Abba, father. And you know when you talk, he hears. And you know when you talk, he responds. Do you have this experience? If you're a believer here and you've had this blessing, don't squander the opportunity for this intimacy. Don't, Don't settle for the fake stuff. It'll never satisfy you. It's just a constant burden. Settle only for that which fills. Intimate communion with God. It's a gift that we have. Maybe you've never had this sense of intimate communion with God. Maybe you've never experienced forgiveness of sin. Maybe you you don't have the Spirit crying out within you, Abba Father. You You can have that assurance today. When we conclude our last song, when we finish, everyone's walking out the back door, front door, whatever you want to call that thing that direction. If you don't know, if you don't know you're a son or a daughter of God, And you have not experienced the Spirit confirm within you, I'm a child of God and I know my Father hears me. I want to challenge you to come. Come up to the front. No one's going to make fun of you. No one's going to point you out. We're not going to do little dances around you. We're just going to come. We're going to show you from the Scriptures how you can have this intimacy, this eternal condition, a right standing, a right relationship, and a perfect, sweet intimacy with God. We'll show you from the Word how that can happen. If you've never trusted Christ, don't leave here without that assurance. It's available. Come. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your good gifts. We pray that you'd help us to rejoice in what you've given us, that you'd help us to be thankful for what you've given and to experience that sweet intimacy day after day. And we pray for anyone that's never trusted Christ, that doesn't have that experience, that even today they would come and receive this gift from you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.